Hello. Hi. Oh, fancy seeing you here. Hi, I'm Caleb. This is the Dog Backwards Podcast. We look at life, faith, and theology from a different angle. Kind of thought I was done doing this. I've been doing this podcast for years. It's a lot of work. I have a lot of other things going on. You know, I, I pastor this church. This church is really growing right now. Uh, my dad passed away. That was a lot. Took over a ministry that he had called Back 40. In fact, in uh, eight days, I'll be in Hungary and Ukraine uh, from the time I'm recording this. So maybe I can bring back some cool info and even taking some gear in case I find somebody to interview there. We'll post it on this channel. So stay tuned. Um, but I had quite a few of you reach out and say, hey, you okay? We haven't heard the podcast in months. Thanks. Thanks for that. Glad you guys like it. I'm glad there's people that enjoy this content. Uh, I don't want to talk into the air. I, I guess I'm still on a couple of lists from publishers. I got in yesterday two books. One, uh, the new Lee Strobel. And they said he's available for interviews. We've had him on the podcast before. I guess he liked it, wants to come back. And then the Imagine the God of Heaven by John Burke. So we're going to try to have both of them on the podcast. And I was like, man, if we're going to have Lee Strobel on here, I might want to upload more than once every six months. Uh, but I'm excited about those. So what are we going to do today? I don't have any guests. And somebody said, Caleb, we actually like it when you talk. You know, if you ever want to hear any of our sermons, you can go to katusafirst.com uh, or actually on Apple Tunes and Spotify. And there's a YouTube page, Katusa First. All my sermons are on there. Uh, they're OK. If you have a hard time sleeping, put one on. You'll do great. But one of the things that I've found and I thought about doing uh, an episode on death. That sounds really depressing. I'm like, who wants to listen to that one? What I have found as somebody who's a pastor and a teacher, and I, I counsel lots of people on how to walk through this stuff. And it's great to have resources now that are more personable. Um, I hadn't lost anybody close in the family since my grandparents when I was real little. So it had been a long time. And then my dad passed suddenly. So I have all of these new skills that I've learned over the last couple of months of kind of just really being introspective about why do I feel this way? How do I feel? What's going on? And one of the things that I've found is there are places where emotions escape more easily than others. And they can show um, weaknesses that you didn't know you had. Now, this podcast in general is very critical of prosperity gospel. Always has been, always will be by the grace of God. Um, but you have to be careful when you hyper focus on issues like that. Because what you can do is it's a very short trip to, to traverse the line of God's wrath, which is right and good. And you're asking for his wrath to be revealed against false teachers who are damaging others, right? Righteous anger and sinful hatred, right? Proverbs says, in your anger, do not sin. And so sometimes our anger leads us to sinful thoughts where we wish poor for people where we hope they go to hell right and, and this is people tell people to go to hell all the time and that's sinful especially from a christian perspective that we should never have enough hate where we go man i hope they burn in hell right they're gonna now there are people in the prosperity like benny hen unless he's repentant he's gonna face judgment day someday for all of the false teachings false lies false prophecies would not envy being in his shoes, but I 
am called to love my enemies and bless those who persecute you. But that's the simplicity of the gospel is absolutely difficult to live out. Unbelievably difficult. And we've been working our way through the book of Acts uh, as I preach on Sunday morning. And there's been some really, really interesting things that I have found that Paul has done that has helped me wrestle with hatred, right? And though I tend to come off as a fun, peace-loving, and I am, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty happy guy, there are certain things that cause me, certain things, there are certain people that cause me immense amount of anger and hatred. I've put on 15 to 20 pounds um, at the gym in a healthy way from anger, <laughs> right? So this last year, my, my father who passed away, he had been wronged immensely by people who prescribe now to a gospel that is highly damaging. And I saw my dad walk with with grace and I would ask him how he did this. He says, if you follow Jesus long enough, you're going to have a Judas. Now I know how Jesus dealt with Judas and I saw how my dad dealt with Judas, but I didn't have the spiritual maturity to deal with Judas that way. I, 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 I'm learning. How would you deal with the Judas in your life? What you would want, that righteous anger that breaches over into full-blown hatred. There's an old comedian, uh, and his jokes will never be funny when I do them. But he talks about, uh, I think it's Bill Hicks. And you can't listen to Bill Hicks if you're a Christian. It's, it's not clean comedy. Uh, but he talks about, he's, he would go to a dance club and he would just stand against the wall with his arms crossed. And he would just feel, he was like a hate camel and he'd feel his hump full of hate. And he could live off of that hate for a whole year. I think all of us have some crevice, some hole in our heart that we reserve for hatred. And that hatred is good for a lot of stuff. You can, you can go for a while running on just the fumes of hatred. But eventually, it will destroy you or you will destroy what you hate. And neither are good, right? So what I have learned, God has been showing me through his word, is how to hate well and how to correctly like focus this. Because I, I understood and I'm self-aware enough to know that the grief I felt naturally from my father passing, uh, you know, we had been on vacation. The day he came home from vacation, he passed away um, th that night in his sleep suddenly. No, no known health issues. And so all of those emotions will find their way out. And it, hatred is one of the easiest ways for it to snake through your body and find an exit. And if you're not careful, all of your sadness will turn into hatred and make you a bitter person. So I've, I've thankfully, like hopefully caught it in time, thanks to God's word showing me how to hate well, to not let it consume me or make me bitter or anything like that. And also recognizing that uh, hatred is not a healthy way to deal with emotions. There's other healthy ways. So there's just a couple of things. Uh, I'm going to look at it, Acts. So I'll, I'll read them. And it's Acts chapter 13. And uh, verse, let's see here. Let's start with verse 6. 
When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came to a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, uh, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elamias the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, Will you not stop making crooked and straight the paths of the Lord? And I love this. So when I read that, now here's a situation. This magician uh, that they call Bar-Jesus. Bar-Jesus means the son of Jesus. Jesus is a very common name in the days of Jesus, right? So we know Isaiah says that there will be nothing special about Jesus. He's not going to be super charismatic. He's not going to be tall and handsome and you see all these pictures of Jesus. He looks like he would win a Roman beauty pageant, right? He's got the sash and everything, holding the lamb. There's like good-looking Jesus, uh, hippie Jesus in his Birkenstocks, right? He's a good-looking guy. Then you have like muscle Jesus. He's got a six-pack. I don't know. You see all these different kind of ones. But Jesus would have been completely overlooked physically and in his charisma, right? The natural. He's not like got that Donald Trump where people are just drawn to him for whatever reason. Uh, there would be nothing special about him. Even his name, even his name is a common name. It'd be like name John, right? Jesus of Nazareth might as well be named John Smith, right? Most common thing. So there's other Jesuses and they call him Bar Jesus. He's the son of a guy named Jesus. And then it tells us his name, uh, meaning magician, right? And it's probably a nickname, like like the, we call him this because we're not even going to associate the name of Jesus with this guy at all. And Paul, when he gets to him, says what we want to say. Like when somebody wounds us or hurts us, we want to say it. But I want to show you the way Paul does it, I believe, is not sinful at all, but is in fact righteous. Now, we give him leeway because he's Paul, so Paul can say whatever he wants, right? Um he calls him, you son of the devil, which means your mom slept with the devil. You enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? But check this out. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind, unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Okay, so Paul, using his apostolic ability, apostolic power, you know, there's lots of people in the new apostolic movement, uh, NAR for short, who claim to be apostles because they can heal. But Paul, not only could he heal people with his apostolic gift, he could reverse it. You never hear of that. You never hear of somebody, somebody said something mean to me and I made them blind. But Paul looks at this guy, calls him the son of the devil, enemy of righteousness, and you're going to be blind for a while. It's almost hypocritical of Paul if you think about it. You don't have to go back very far. And who was Paul? Who was Paul? Paul's there while they stone Stephen, holding the coats. Paul's on his way to imprison Christian men and women, possibly have them murdered for being Christians just not that long ago. 
that's that's like somebody who God just saved from drug addiction three weeks later, looking at these drug addicts, calling them stupid losers and pathetic and no good. I'm like, dude, you were one of these guys like a couple weeks ago. Isn't it hypocritical of him to do that? But think about what changed Paul's mind. What was it that transformed Paul? He's on the road to Damascus. What happens to his eyes? He struck blind, right? So Paul looks at somebody and says harsh things as Jesus did to Paul. And Paul makes him blind as Jesus did to Paul. Is this out of just pure anger and spite? Or does Paul do the only thing Paul knows that will change the heart of somebody this hard? I think Paul makes him go blind because there is not pure vengeance. It's a desire for repentance. They really do. I think that's why Paul asks him to go blind. So one of the things that's a part of my, my testimony in my life as I was doing interim preaching, for those of you who don't know what that is, as you go from church to church to church on Sunday because they don't have a pastor. And so you're like the temporary pastor. The churches I was doing that at started to get bigger and bigger, and my ego got out of control. And I, um, it, it got so out of control that one Sunday at a church in Broken Arrow, I was supposed to go up and talk. And they're like, here comes Caleb Moore. Uh, we're so excited to have him. I know he's going to bring another great word. And for the first time, I had a panic attack. I never had a panic attack before in my life. It was like my tongue swelled up. My mouth went dry. I got really dizzy. And as they expected me to go down to the front of the sanctuary, I got up and I walked out. <laughs> I walked out of the church. You ever seen a pastor who's supposed to preach and he just walks out? And everybody's watching and there's like this really quiet. Maybe they think I'm going to do something different. Like he's going to come in on a zip line or something. They're like, oh, we're in for a treat. He's going to do something neat. And no, I went and sat in my car and like hyperventilated and bawled my eyes out. They came out to the car and they're like, what's wrong with you? I said, I think my blood sugar's low. I'm not diabetic. I don't know what to say. So they bring me candy. <laughs> I'm sitting in my car crying. I didn't know what it was. And for a time of almost six months, I lost the ability to preach. It even got so bad that the little church that I had, that I had started, where I knew everybody intimately, close friends, and I've never been afraid of speaking in public before. Never. For the first time, I was terrified to speak. And as I would get ready to go up, I would prepare my lesson. My sermon would be ready. It'd be my turn to speak. There was times where I had to have my wife go and share her testimony, just go and talk, because I literally could not do it. And this was Man, this led to a lot of depression because the only thing I know how to do is talk. This is what I do for a living is I, I talk. And if you lose that ability, I was like, how am I going to provide for my family? My wife was pregnant. And then some godly men in my life. So they've been praying for this moment. And I, I was like, what do you mean you've been praying for this moment? And they said, we had been asking God to check your ego. They showed me this verse in scripture. I can't remember where it's at, but it's, it's in here, somewhere in there. And it says that God does not share his glory with another. That sounds like Deuteronomy. to me. And they told me I, I had become a glory thief, right? And when they said that, it resonated. I didn't realize, I didn't, I didn't know my pride was that bad, but it resonated. And I repented and I was able to preach again. 
And I preached with fear and trembling. I still do to this day. I can get nervous, really nervous, but not panic attack. I can make it um, because I don't want to take God's glory for myself. It's very easy to do. To think that the growth of our church, our church has grown to take that as I've done something good. This is, this is all him and it's his. Even the abilities that you have come from God, so you can't take credit for it. It'd be like somebody bragging about they're tall. <laughs> like, you didn't pass a test uh, in your mother's womb to become tall that I failed, right? If there was a test, I would have failed it, but um, there's no test. It's just what God has given you. And so you can't brag about that. So what Paul does is he prays. And he asked God to do the same thing to this guy that God did to them. And I believe it's so that he hopes that he'll repent and change. So if somebody has hurt you, what was it that God used to change you? Because my guess is, is you're a different person than before Christ entered your life, right? If you're not, then you might want to consider getting saved. Um, what was it that God used to speak to you? Maybe it was just something simple. Maybe it's not as dramatic as mine. I hope it's not because it shows how hard-headed that I am that God had to do something dramatic in order to get me. But I started to use the same thing that God did to me. I started to pray that for my enemies. And it changed. Even though there's that, you son of the devil, he's speaking the truth. Liars are sons of the devil. And they are not righteous, these prosperity gospel people, right? That is accurate language. It's harsh, but accurate. But I also pray that the anxiety and fear and dreadfulness would overtake them to the point where they can't speak anymore so that it leads to repentance. See the difference? We're angry, but our prayer is, God, judge them now to where it leads to repentance so that they can escape judgment later. Most of the time when somebody wrongs you, what you want is God's immediate wrath. Yet he's shown you grace. Isn't this the way it always works? Somebody, you wrong somebody, what do you want? You want grace. Somebody wrongs you, what do you want? Justice. This is, this is how fallen that we are. Uh, and then one last one, short podcast today, uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 19, it says, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So now Paul, every time he does a miracle, they beat him up or try to kill him and stone him. You think he would stop doing miracles. Uh, now people have traveled. Uh, from Antioch and Iconium, right? Um, some of them have traveled 150 miles to find Paul. This is that religious hatred that we were talking about. Religious hatred is much stronger than normal hatred because I wouldn't walk five miles to harm the person uh, that I hate, but they will walk 150 miles. It's an irrational kind of hatred. It's usually religious in nature. 150 miles and their desire is to kill him. They want to stone him to death. They beat him so bad. They think he's dead. I don't know how this works. I, either uh, shallow breathing, uh, he's unconscious. In, in the chaos of the mob, he's knocked out. They drag him out. His friends are there with him, hoping he's going to be okay. He gains two. And he says, let's go back. 
Now, if I wrote this, it's let's go back and tear them a new one, <laughs> right? Let's go back. You guys saw what they did to me? Let's go get them. God is on our side. David versus Goliath. Grab your sword, boys. That's not what he does. He wants to go back and he wants to make sure that the gospel is preached because he has this understanding that the reason the, they act the way that they do is because they don't have Christ. Violence is only going to lead to more violence. If he goes back and he slaps him on the face, what are they going to want to do now? Now they're going to want to slap him harder. Violent escalates. It multiplies. It reproduces. There's this uncanny ability. And, and this is what Jesus had. And it's obviously how Paul learned it. Is Jesus is on the cross and he looks and he says, um, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they do. He says they act this way out of ignorance. And God's word is what changes that ignorance. So if someone beat the crap out of you to the point that you thought you were dead, would you have enough spiritual maturity to not only forgive them, but to pray that the knowledge of God would enter into their heart? Maybe even enough so that uh, now if somebody beat you that bad, they'd be in jail. Would you go visit them in jail and tell them the gospel? Or would you be volunteering to throw the switch in the electric chair? So, I mean, honestly, I'd, I'd be like, let's test this thing out. Let's, let's flick it a few times, make sure it works. And that's the thing that the Lord is trying to change into my heart with, with the amount of hatred I was surprised that I had for a person. Um, though I feel like it is right and good for me to be angry at what they had done and to pray for God's righteous judgment on them. My concern should be that I pray for it to happen now so it doesn't happen later, that they should be led to repentance and not me just satisfying the anger that was in my heart, right? So think about what makes you angry and think about where you point that. Because where you point that anger tells you a lot about where we are in our own spiritual maturity, at least in that area. You can be really mature in other areas, but fail at that area. And I think it's a good thing for us to meditate on. Could I be like Paul? Can I pray that way for my enemies, that the same way God changed me would change them? And um, can I take a beat and still going? The reason he can still go is because the personal and emotional abuse that he suffers has no determining factor on who he is or what he's supposed to be doing. Kierkegaard once said, a saint is someone who can will the one thing. It means it's a saint is somebody who has like singular vision and nothing deters them from it. And so a lot of times uh, we don't know our vision or our purpose. We have no singular drive. So we're easily distracted. And then we hate those who distract us. But if I have a singular vision and Jesus had told them, look, you're going to suffer, you're going to have all this stuff. So he almost has an expectation that bad things are going to happen. He has the right filter to interpret all of these things that are happening to him and put them in the correct spiritual paradigm. I know that's a lot of big words, but he has, he's, he's able to look at them from the right perspective. God is always going to be trying to shift your perspective to give you just a little bit more of heavenly eyes to see things the way he sees things and to see people the way he sees people. So anyways, we're back. We're going to upload a lot more. Uh, we're not going anywhere as my schedule permits, but we should be back to one or two a month. All right.
God bless. Talk to y'all later. No, don't forget that like subscribe thing, right? If this channel grew a lot, I would do a lot more. Talk to you later.